listening to The 30 Podcast. Here's your host, Jazz Kang. Welcome to another episode of The 30 Podcast, brought to you, of course, by SilverScreenAndRoll.com. We have you covered there for everything Lakers, Harrison, Anthony, and crew, updates at site daily, stats, opinions, news, analysis, you name it, we got it. And don't forget, subscribe to the podcast network as well. You can check us out on iTunes, Google Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you get your fix, we are there. And follow us on Twitter as well, at LakersSBN. Well, only a few days left now in the Lakers' official season from hell. Seems like it was just an endless stream of drama this year. On with me today to break it all down, ESPN NBA reporter as well as writer and New York Times bestselling author whose new book, LeBron Inc., The Making of a Billion Dollar Athlete, available for pre-order online right now. He's one of the best in the business. Brian Windhorst, how you doing, my man? The official season from hell. That's now been branded. It's It's been memorialized as the official <laughs> That's right. They're going to start selling t-shirts soon now, too, during the playoff time, so we could feel like we're still getting some Lakers run here. Yeah, um, obviously, uh, when I it was really my publisher's decision, but when I uh, planned the book to come out the last day of the regular season, I did not think that uh, LeBron would be done for the year. I did not think the Lakers were going to have a you know run towards the finals, but um, obviously disappointing, and um, certainly not what anybody expected. I know that there were some people out there, including some people that uh, in the media who predicted that the Lakers would miss the playoffs. I don't think anybody predicted it would happen this way. I think they thought it would maybe be because the West was so competitive. Um, literally, I don't think anybody could have foreseen this coming. And I don't know if that makes it any easier or not because the Lakers are just as out of the playoffs. But uh, it was a completely unpredictable season. Yeah, it was it, a lot of things happened. I mean, and some of the things were out of their control, like the injuries and, and some of the things that they had control of, roster construction, uh, some of the rotations Luke did. There's a laundry list of things uh, we could go over. I also want to mention, if you haven't had the chance yet, you can check out ESPN.com. There's actually an excerpt from the book there you could read uh, going into detail about how LeBron signed on with Nike back in 2003, just before the draft lottery. Really interesting stuff in there. Uh, just an overall um, amazing to kind of see what goes on in the background when these deals are going on. Uh, just out of curiosity when i look at it how long does it take you to typically finish an entire book like from beginning to end oh i suppose they're all different um this one was pretty long i started working on this one um i mean some of this reporting is dating back 15 18 years but i started working on it in the spring of 17 i think and i finished it in the late fall of 18 so you know about a year and a half um it wasn't always at the front of my uh, front of my plate, but it's the uh, it's the fourth book on LeBron I've written. I, I, I don't know if it'll be the last one. Um, I'm, I'm I was I'm kind of tired about writing about basketball about him. You know, I was fortunate that the last one, which was about the Cavs 2016 championship, was really a nice story. And um, you know, on the last page of the book, the Cavs won the title. It was not a surprise book. As I was fortunate that it made it onto the New York Times bestseller list. Um, and so the publisher really wanted me to do another one. And I just said, I want to do a non-basketball book. So um, it's not really about the Cavs. It's not really about the Lakers, although his move to L.A. is covered. It's really about his business um, moves over the years. And there's been some some big ones, some ones that everybody knows about. Everybody knows about when he signed with Nike. Everybody knows about the decision, for example. Um, everybody knows about some of the movies he's been in, but there's some other stuff that has made him a lot of money that not many people would know about or or nobody would know about. And there's been some mistakes he's made too. Um, some businesses he's invested in have gone belly up, some choices that he made 
that didn't work out. Um, but all in all, I think LeBron has been a leader. He's um, he's really led um, uh, a lot of the, even his peers. Uh, he's a lot of guys have mimicked some of the business decisions he's made. And in addition to being a transformational player on the court, he's been a transformational player off the court. And I know that it's a it's a difficult conversation to have right now for Laker fans because it's been a uh, a hard uh, last six months. Um, but if you're a LeBron fan and you want to know more about him, um, you will find stories in this book that I, I would be stunned if you've heard before. Well, you're you're, you're kind of going. Uh, you you mentioned that. I mean, how successful he is off the court, and he's kind of really been. I mean, Michael Jordan did it in the sense of he was just the pure athlete, and he had the Jordan brand, and everything he did was related to the game. When, when you look at LeBron, and and you got to kind of dig deeper into into the story, of the book that you were writing. Um, how, how impressive is it just like how much he's kind of taken on the role of being his own entity? Because so much of the time with, with athletes, it's like you, you tie LeBron to, you know, when he first it was like, he's a Cleveland Cavalier. That's what he's going to be for his life. And he's a basketball guy. But he's become so much bigger than this. Like when you're writing that book, did anything really surprise you coming out? Or was this kind of stuff that you already had done on the surface that you just had to dig deeper on? I think you have to realize, first off, that there is only one Michael Jordan that not only was he transformational as a, as a player, but in a lot of ways he was first. I mean, the signature shoe that he created, the fact that he created Nike Basketball, which is a you know, multi-billion dollar a year company. I mean, they pretty much didn't exist before him. You know, he's kind of like in golf, there's only one Tiger Woods. There was no Nike Golf before Tiger Woods. And then when Tiger Woods went down, Nike Golf went away. Um, and so, Really, you know, really LeBron was trying to follow a roadmap that Jordan created, but he did carve his own his own um, his own route a little bit. I think one of the big things was Jordan, for the most part, was a was a for hire endorser. Yes, we all know about Nike and Gatorade, but also you know Ballpark Franks and Hanes underwear and other collections of interview or endorsements that he had. He appeared in commercials, appeared in print ads allowed his name to be attached to something and he received a check for it. Um, he, re- he, oh, he, he owns a piece of Nike, uh, the Jordan brand, only really because it's royalties. Um, you know, he gets royalties off, off uh, just like any, any uh, shoe endorser would get off a signature shoe. Um, it just so happens that that signature shoe is, is the most successful um, signature shoe line in, uh, in sports history. Um, LeBron went a different route. He was really looking for ownership. He took checks for a while. I mean, he, you know, early in his career, he was definitely selling Sprite. I mean, he still does to a certain extent. He's still with Coke 16 years later. But, um, you know, he don't see him on many commercials. Uh, You know, I know he had a a Sprite commercial this year. He's had some Kia commercials in recent years. But he really doesn't do show up and get a paycheck for a commercial anymore. And that really started about seven or ten years ago. When basically there were people who were dying to get into business with LeBron. There were all these people who said, can we get you to pitch our product? And LeBron sort of had the epiphany, yeah, I'll pitch your product, but you got to give me a piece of the deal. And I don't mean a check. I mean ownership, (laughs) you know, and a check. And so the classic example of this is Beats Headphones. So when Beats started – um, they really didn't have any money for marketing. I mean, they had big people behind them, Dr. Dre, Jimmy Iovine, but they didn't have, um, you know, 
$20 million to go out and, and sign LeBron to wear beef. And by the way, if you remember, um, and I'm not a headphone guy. I mean, I have uh, pairs of nice headphones, but um, I really can't speak to their whole history. But, you know, the concept of selling a $400 headphone that looked like a, you know, a, a coffee can over your <laughs> ear was very unusual, you know. Um, and so one of the things that LeBron did in conjunction with Beats, and he had someone put them together, is he said, okay, um, what I'm going to do is when we go to the Olympics, I'm going to give out pairs of Beats to my teammates. And it wasn't like this was a, this was, it was a wide-ranging strategy. It wasn't like they decided this was going to be their secret. It just turned out that way. So there's the 2008 Olympics in China, huge Olympics, the Redeem team, a lot of focus on that Olympics and on that team. And they start showing up places with these crazy, huge headphones that nobody had ever seen them before, generally. I mean, Beats had been on sale, but you'd have to really been on the inside and an early adopter to know what they are. The world was seeing them on Kobe. Well, I don't think Kobe wore them, but, you know, on Chris Paul, you know, uh, on Jason Kidd, um, on Joe Johnson, uh, on all those stars on that team. Because LeBron handed them out and they were cool and they'd never seen them before and, and they liked the way they worked. And so they didn't give a check to Joe Johnson. They didn't give a check to Jason Kidd. They didn't give a check to Chris Paul. They gave him a free pair of headphones. And yet here they were co-opted into being sort of endorsers for the brand. And that was that was made possible because of LeBron. You know, if I give him the headphones or you give him the headphones, they're not going to wear them. But because LeBron wore them and gave them out, they they wore them. Beats visibility explodes off of that. It helps them found get the foundation for the company. Um, years later, uh, and by the way, LeBron got several percentage points of the company for helping promote it that way. Years later, it sells for $3 billion to Apple. And LeBron got a check for over $50 bucks for that. And by the way, he still remains... Um, as a uh, as an endorser t- t- today, like he does commercials and stuff, or you know promotes them, and so that's those are the kind. Now that's a grand slam deal, and and you know Kobe recently had a deal where he had bought into a piece, uh, I think of body armor, and he's gotten a huge return. Um, so th- there are more deals like this, but really LeBron and that you know, and by the way, there are other people across other industries that ask for ownership. LeBron didn't come up with the concept of asking for equity. But it was something that he sort of charted his own path that basketball players really hadn't done before. And so he has continued to look for deals like that. And, and so that is where I think he is a little bit different from Jordan. Um, and, you know, he has his fingers in some pretty big companies now. He, he did a similar type deal to get 2% of Liverpool, which is the uh, English soccer team, which is worth over $2 billion dollars. Probably if they sold it, they could probably get $3 billion for it. Who knows? Um, you know, he, he has a, a, a significant percentage of Blaze Pizza, which is a fast-growing chain. And so, like, you know, uh, Blaze Pizza could have paid him a, a fee to do commercials for them. But instead, not only did he take a percentage of the company in return for doing publicity, but he also got rights to open franchises. So he makes, you know, money a couple of different ways there. So he's... He's made a lot of money. He's he's not worth a billion dollars yet, but give him a few years, I think he'll get there. And of course, he has media companies too. And that's why the title is The Making of a Billion Dollar Athlete, not The Billion Dollar Athlete just yet, but he's on his way there for sure. 
Yeah, you know, he wants to own a, a sports team. Uh, I think he'd love for it to be an NBA team. By the way, that takes a lot of money. <laughs> yeah. Um, I think uh, just about every NBA team, if they sold right now, would, would be a billion dollars. Now, obviously, you don't have to put down a billion dollars cash to buy a team that's a billion dollars. Although I think Steve Ballmer did write a check for two billion. I think he. I think he didn't. I don't think he financed it. Um, I won't get into the to the uh, things that happen when you finance sports purchases, but. Um, you know, but you definitely need hundreds of millions. And, um, you know, I think LeBron could be part of an ownership group. I mean, I think if he re- if he retired today, there would be people who would give him money where he would have a small percentage and he would sort of lead the group. But I don't think that's what he wants. I think he wants to be the owner. And, you know, look, um, uh, Vivek Ranadive owns the Sacramento Kings. I think he has 17%. Um, so you can you can buy teams without owning the full the full amount, and I think that's what LeBron would prefer to do down the line. That's what he's trying to work towards. And it, it may not be a uh, it may not be an NBA team, but boy, does that make a lot of sense? Yeah, that'll be that'll be interesting to watch him him kind of growing. I mean, you're seeing that with uh, with uh, Kevin Durant as well on the business side of things. He's in Silicon Valley, uh, trying to make things happen, and it's been it's been actually great to see the athletes kind of take take a role, uh, a lead role in, in kind of establishing themselves, not only just as sportsmen, but uh, as businessmen at the same time. I uh, want to jump in on a couple of uh, rumors and reports that we're hearing, as well as some online betting stuff. Uh, we'll do that right after this break. And we're back. Uh, Brian, some news on the Lakers coaching front. Online Sportsbook has former NBA player and current Miami Heat assistant coach Jawan Howard as a betting favorite to take over the team next season. Uh, what do you think the chances that'll happen? I mean, typically sports books are, are pretty on point, but at the same time, I mean, this kind of came out of left field that, that he was instilled as a favorite. Uh, I don't know if it's just uh, a, a shot in the dark for someone or someone's hearing rumors, but uh, do you think this has any legs to it? Well, this obviously, we saw this and obviously made a big impression with us and we started checking our sources. Um, <coughs> excuse me. <coughs> um, you know, I know Jalen. I don't, I don't. I wouldn't say we're close. Um, he um, he obviously coached LeBron. He was a teammate of him uh, for, I believe, a year in Miami, and then he was an assistant coach with him in Miami for a couple of years. Um, I was stunned to see that um, because, you know, you know, and there, there could be a bunch of different things at play here. Like I said, we had not heard Juwan's name. Doesn't mean that it's not true. Someone could have come in and put money on him that changed the odds. They could have been looking for publicity um, for that sports book. Um, whatever it was, it certainly got our attention. I would be surprised by it because Juwan, I believe, is the third assistant in Miami um, under Eric Spolster. Dan Craig and Chris Quinn um, are there. Uh, you know, Juwan has been a development coach more than anything, but um, – uh, very hard worker, very cerebral guy. I would be surprised um, if that happens, but it certainly caught my attention. I, I really think that um, whatever coach comes in to interview, uh, I think that coach is going to have to interview the Lakers front office as much as they interview him. Because I think even if you brought John Wooden back, Red Auerbach uh, back from the, from beyond, I think they would have a hard time with this particular roster construction um, uh, really leading them to a, to a deep, to a deep run in the playoffs. And so 
I know that the coach is going to be at the front of everybody's mind because that might be where the action is in the short term here. Um, but I think that the coaching decision is only a, is only a piece of what the Lakers have to address between now and uh, next fall. Yeah, I've been saying that a lot on on the podcast, especially over the the last few months, and I caught a lot of flack for it too from from some Lakers fans. You know that I was I was calling out Magic's uh, uh, decisions that he made not only in the off season and, and some of the comments he's made during his tenure uh, with the Lakers front office. I mean, it, it's almost like you need somebody who's going to come in and challenge him sitting in his own echo chamber, telling him what he thinks is best. And Magic Johnson has been fantastic, whether it's uh, on the court, his, his business uh, acumen, he's done very well. He's done a lot of good things for the community in Los Angeles, but that's all separate from his job as, as the basically running the show for the Lakers. And uh, as you mentioned, you want to have somebody who's going to come in. And I think the Lakers need to cast a wider net. I think a lot of the time that they try and keep things in house and try and make it about the organization. And, and that to me is, is something that's not going to work going forward because when you look at this team, how it was constructed and all the drama, I mean, your, your colleague, Dave McMinnon uh, wrote a great piece, I think it was last week, just about the tumultuous season the Lakers had had and, and really detailing everything from, you know, the, the drama with Aaron Mintz, the CEA agent, uh, to a lot of the things that went on kind of behind the stage. When you look at this team, and, and especially since Dr. Buss passed away, um, why is the franchise, does the franchise still have the same lore that it always did in the NBA circles? Do you know what I mean? Like before the Lakers had so much prestige associated with it, and then the Jim Buss era was a disaster. Uh, Jeannie comes in, she cleans house, you know, they get rid of uh, Cupjack, and now they're going with with Magic and Rob Palenka. But has, has some of that gold kind of worn off uh, off of being with the Lakers in, in the inner league, uh, inner circles of the league? Yeah, I, I don't think the Lakers brand is as strong as it was. However, the city of Los Angeles has never been more of a draw for players. Um, everyone lives here in the offseason now. Uh, teams go to great lengths to maximize their time here during the regular season. The, the LA is the capital of the NBA. And obviously players have always wanted to play in LA. You know, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar famously uh, was like, take me back to my second home. <laughs> um, and that was in the seventies. Um, that's not new, obviously, but never to this extent before. Um, you know, when I first started covering the league back in the early two thousands, uh, certainly LA was a popular spot, but, um, you know, a lot of players liked living in Orlando at the time. Uh, I was talking to, um, uh, Tracy McGrady about that because McGrady, uh, you know, is from that area. And he said that back then you could get just a tremendous house in Orlando, like a huge mansion for not that much money. And, and back then the players were making money, but they weren't, you know, the average player salary was not seven or 8 million. It was, you know, about a million and a half or two. And, and for, so, for example, a lot of players lived in Orlando um, in the early 2000s. It's one of the reasons why the Magic were able to land uh, Grant Hill and, and McGrady, and they almost got Tim Duncan. Um, a lot of players used to love to live in Atlanta. A lot of, you know, Atlanta used to be a major off-season hub, but it is to a certain extent today. Uh, but obviously New York, I mean, I, you know, I remember Steve Nash used to live in New York in the off-season. All that action is now in L.A. The players are all here in L.A. So where the Laker brand maybe has slipped a little bit because of the Kobe, sort of Kobe turning off some people and then some failure and then some turnover within the organization, I still think that the draw is still very strong because playing for the Lakers means living in Los Angeles. So I still would would bet on the organization long term. Um, 
but that doesn't guarantee anything because they've tried to take the brand out for a spin quite a bit in the last seven or eight years and it just hasn't gotten done. And I think the real, the real uh, first blow was Dwight Howard. Um, regardless of whether Dwight Howard um, would have worked out here or not, it's not really relevant. It was the fact that that was a top free agent who was playing for the Lakers who said, I don't want to be here. And there was a dozen reasons for that, but that was the beginning. And then it got to the point where, you know, you couldn't even get, um, you know, uh, meetings with the top free agent. I mean, that would never have happened uh, 10 years ago. So I think that that may upset some Laker fans, but I think you have to just be honest about it. Um, you can deny it, but I think you have to be honest about it. And, you know, we we saw Paul George not even give them a, a, a meeting. And if they don't land any of these guys this summer, um, it's another blow for them. And I, I really, I really wouldn't rule anything out uh, because I think if you rule things out or make absolute statements in the NBA, you just, you know, increase the chances of yourself looking like a fool. But um, uh, this is the this is the most uh, French. This is the most superstar rich free agent class we've seen in a decade. And if the Lakers strike out with LeBron James and with salary cap space, it's not going to be a a good look, but it, it, it's, it's a reality that they have to prepare for. I, w- I want to get to the, the, the free agent class um, and get your opinion on a couple of those. But before that, uh, this is one thing I really did w- want to touch on with you. Cause I was thinking about, I was thinking about this as well, exactly how you mentioned um, you have LeBron James here. You have the lore of, of being in Los Angeles. I don't think the Clippers right now are too far behind because they seem like they're building something pretty good just across the hall there too. But when you, when you look at magic's decision-making, um, you know, talking about having shooters on the team when it was clearly a, a, a soft spot on this roster coming into the season. I think anybody who followed the NBA knew that when you, when you looked at the way that roster was constructed. Um, I, I don't want to say, is he the right guy for the job? But w- w- I think the better way to look at it is, do you think that he he has what it takes in, in order to make the improvement? Because this summer is going to be huge for him. I, I think, you know, he talked about it being a three-year plan. He said the Lakers are back this season. And then next year, the Lakers are back, back. Um, how much pressure is on Magic this offseason to get things right? Well, I think the pressure exists because it's a complicated fix. Um, there's a lot of things that need to be fixed. Um, and so that's the thing. I mean, I think if it was just just signing a free agent, I think, you know, okay, I, I give them a fighting chance at it. But they need to retrofit the supporting players. They have young players who have lost value. They have, um, you know, because of the Anthony Davis thing, they have some, some, some hurt feelings that are that need repaired. They obviously have the coaching situation. Um, they have a very important draft pick coming up, and they need to hit that draft pick. I know that they've they've done okay in the draft, not great, but they've done okay. They need to hit that draft pick. Um, there's a lot going on there. It's not just signing a free agent. It's really going to take some good general managing. Um, and you know, I. The way I've looked at it is the, the star, you know, Magic and Rob Palinka need to be stars between now and uh, and July. And I, and I don't even necessarily mean like, I mean, obviously in free agency, but even with the, if what they do between now and then, if they make a, a trade, you know, if they draft, obviously the coaching hire, they've got to start hitting on these things. And, you know, I, I, I don't know. I, I, I actually think what happened this season was pretty simple. I think the Anthony Davis – Event. I don't know how how else you want to call it. The Anthony Davis event made it emotionally charged because of what happened with the trade rumors. But I actually think what functionally happened to the Lakers is pretty simple. They 
built a roster, a team around LeBron that was experimental, and the experiment failed. And they might have been able to survive that and still make the playoffs, but then the injuries made that impossible. And I think that's it. I honestly think it's as simple as that. Um, I, I, you know, I, I don't. I honestly don't think any coach could have done something that would have made it better. Um, did Luke do the best job? No, I don't think it's his fault though. I, I really think it's pretty simple what happened. It's just it's just going to be a bit of a hard fix. The positive for the Lakers is, you know, they're not locked into this roster. They're going to have roster spots and they're going to have salary cap space. How they use the space is what's going to be important. That's that's going to be the key, and I, I think you know you you mentioned on the, uh, the the free agent class. I mean, you got the big names: Clay, Kawhi, Kevin Durant. Kyrie Irving, the second tier guys, Jimmy Butler, Boogie Cousins, Kemba Walker. I think a mistake would be for the Lakers to try and do a quick fix if they strike out with the big fish and committing to a guy like Jimmy Butler, or Boogie Cousins on, on four year deals and, and, and paying them, you know, the max uh, just to bring them here, just to say, hey, look, we do, did bring in a second star. And because when you look at that roster, the way the roster is constructed, the Lakers need to do a lot to fill in. And I'm not even talking the top five, six, seven slots. Like I think the eight, nine, ten, like just have some depth on guys that bring some sort of skill to the team. I mean, I think Alex Caruso, he's not going to be a starting uh, NBA point guard on a team that wins 50 games, but he's a serviceable backup. And I think they have to look at, at kind of tinkering. And like you mentioned, uh, make sure that they hit on all the moves that they're making, especially bringing together this roster. Otherwise, I don't think any of those big-name free agents are, are going to look at coming. I mean, they all have NBA championships, not like they're, they're ring-chasing at this point. But out of the, the main guys that I would say that I mentioned, out of Clay, Kawhi, Kevin Durant, and Kyrie, to me, and this is just a totally a, a guess, I'm not saying this based off any information, I think Kyrie has, has the most, uh, I don't think the chances are high, but I think he has the highest probability of, of being in a Laker uniform. Out of those four, is, is there one name that sticks out to you that, that might be in the purple and gold next year? I think uh, Kyrie and Kevin Durant are very unpredictable people. I think they, their mood changes regularly. I think their feelings about their surroundings change regularly. I think um, it's part of their makeup. Um, they are amazing basketball players, and they're a little fragile emotionally. So anybody trying to get an idea of what Durant and, and Kyrie are going to do, I wish you good luck. And there are a lot of people who are, who are really trying to guess. Um, I, just, I just wish you good luck. I just, I just don't know. Um, and I think, um, you know, for the Lakers, to me – that's the decision. If they if they if they don't get those four guys, do they do something like give Boogie Cousins a big one year deal, or do they break it up and use it on other players? Like for example, let me just give you an example. To me, a guy who's a free agent this summer, who the Lakers should absolutely target, is Seth Curry. Mm -hmm. um, if you go look at um, the last ten years, there has always been a off guard with LeBron who can shoot. Um, who doesn't have to have the ball, who can shoot. It was Mo Williams at, you know, in Cleveland. They would two 60-win seasons with him. It was Mario Chalmers um, uh, in Miami. Uh, then Kyrie Irving, who's the greatest example ever. He, they, they were tailor-made to play with each other. Unfortunately, Kyrie wants to have the ball and control the offense, and so does LeBron, so they don't fit from that standpoint. But if you could take their, if you could deprogram the personalities, Kyrie is an ideal running mate to LeBron because he he can uh, he can create one on one and he can also shoot and he can also be very effective without having the ball. Um, 
it's an ideal situation. And you hear, you know, LeBron talk about wanting to take the pressure off playmaking. Well, the reason he felt so much pressure last year is because Kyrie was gone. I mean, that's that's why. I mean, Kyrie was the ideal player. But you look at a guy like Seth Curry. Um, this is a guy who can shoot over 40% from three-point range, and um, and you know can handle a little bit. And it's just again, you don't have to spend 17 million dollars on him. Uh, and I don't even know how you can get him. I don't know if he even wants to play. And I don't even know how many years you get him for. But to me, that's the type of player I'm looking for. And boy, that doesn't get Lakers fans excited. They're hoping for Anthony Davis and uh, you know, <laughs> you know, you know. And, and by the way, like like I've heard the Lakers fans talk about Kemba Walker. Well, yeah, he's a big name. And you know, when he gets going at the end of um, uh, when he gets going at the end of these games, he he, is, he he gets white hot. He's one of the most enjoyable players to watch in the league. He's also 29, undersized, and has bad shooting percentages, and he needs the ball in his hand. Uh, to me, I I want somebody playing off guard who can defend perimeter players and can shoot. I mean, if you could get a, a in his prime Mario Chalmers type player. That would be great for the for the Lakers. Uh, that's what LeBron needs. If you look at the guys, um, you look at the teams that have, in the past, and so, I mean, that's the thing. I mean, I don't know if Magic. I think Magic was brought in to hit homers. You know, he wasn't brought in, you know, to extend the metaphor to, you know, slap the ball the opposite way. Um, you know, he was brought in to be the closer in big free agent deals, and I just don't. I mean. It's possible that they can do it. I mean, he does know the game. It irritates me when he says, uh, I know what to do because I'm Magic Johnson. I played nine finals. Nobody is touching his resume, but that doesn't mean that the Lakers get to start a game up 9 0. That doesn't mean that the <laughs> Lakers get to sit it doesn't mean the Lakers get to sit down with uh, you know, with a free agent and erase all of the issues that they have. Um it's an awesome thing to have on your letterhead, but I don't know how functional it is in, in actually doing the job. So these are the, you know, that to me is the big thing. The Lakers have to go out for the big fish. If the big fish say no, what is their backup plan? Um, is their backup plan a trade of one of their uh, front end players? Is their backup plan going for another, you know, smaller fish on a short deal to keep yourself in the game for Anthony Davis? Is there? Do they go out and sign three or four free agents that fill holes, which is probably what I'd like them to do? Um, these are the things that I hope that uh, Magic and Rob are working on ten, twelve hours a day right now. Yeah, we're hoping that, but I don't. I don't know if that's the case. I, I agree with you on that. Uh, on that thing, that you know, he's bragging about being in nine NBA Finals, dude. The last time you played in the NBA Finals, guys were still wearing shorts that are like spandex, and it was okay to smoke I mean, cigarettes I, at halftime. I mean, right. I it mean, doesn't I, mean, I mean, it's, it's be an awesome now. resume. No one, no one would ever take anything away from it. And I even understand why Jeannie hired him because at the time she was doing this very emotional thing. This was not a a board of directors firing a CEO. This was, this was just replacing a president. It was an incredibly emotional family decision. And by bringing Magic in, one of the ironclad gold standard names in Los Angeles, I understand why she did it. Like, I, 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 I'm not, I think you have to be, a, be aware of the time and place and circumstances. But I, I, I just don't know if, he, if, if that kind of attitude, which he has displayed publicly, I can only imagine what he says privately, is what the attitude that you need for this team right now. I just don't know. 
that that's the key to me as well. And I think that's where Genie needs needs to come in too, because franchises that you see that there's this many leaks and there's this much private stuff coming out and being made public, like with the Warriors, the stuff you you've seen that's been kind of dramatic this season has been on the court that everybody can see with their own eyes. You don't really hear what goes on in, in the in the locker room and, and what goes on behind closed doors. It's not really that public. And I think that to me is a sign of a well-ran organization. You can look at championship teams across any of the four major North American sports. But with with uh, Jeannie, she needs to sit down with Rob Palenka, Magic Johnson, bring in some guys who are consultants. I mean, I know the Jerry West ship has sailed, but bring in somebody like that who is going to challenge Magic and not just be a yes man. And I think that's what a lot of the guys maybe, you know, right now that that Magic has around him that are just echoing all his sentiments the whole time anyways. Well, I, you know, I just, I, I think it's a very difficult job for a first-time general manager in Rob Palenka. Um, you know, in 10 years, Rob Palenka may have two executive of the years and three titles and may have proven to be one of the most competent executives um, that has been in the recent league, like Bob Myers, you know. That may end up being who Rob Palenka is. But putting him in that position without experience was a tall order. And um, I don't even really blame him you know, for the mistakes that have been made. I, I, I do think that, that that they need some more experience. And, and whether that means bringing somebody in equal to Rob or whatever, I, I think they, like I said, this, this scenario that needs to be done is going to require a lot of skill. And it, I think it's just hard for somebody who hasn't done it before. I really do. It's not, I'm not even taking a shot at them. I'm just being honest. Yeah, and I, I think that's uh, that's where it's. Uh, I mean, you, you have to look at their skill set. You have to look at the the environment and kind of the situation, their, the hand that they're dealing with right now. And I, I'm I'm in agreement with you. I don't know if they are the right guys. I'm not going to say that they are or aren't. But yeah, I mean, we're going to know a lot, whole lot more about the leadership of this franchise uh, come time by mid July and, and see where this roster is at. Uh, a couple of quick questions for you before we wrap up here. You you mentioned the lottery pick. It is a big one. Uh, if it ends up being the 10 to 13 range, obviously I don't think that has um, a lot of kind of, uh, it's not going to be as prestigious as, as being a top four. Uh, if if they do end up with, a, let's say the third or fourth overall pick, because you know, I believe if they get Zion, they're keeping that number one overall pick. But if they get a number three or four, would they look to package that? And would that make the the Pelicans uh, think twice again about, about maybe making a deal with the Lakers if the pick is that good? I don't think so. Hmm. I don't think the Pelicans are going to do it. Uh, if it gets one or two, I think it's a change situation. I think the demand for John Morant and uh, and Zion are so high that I think you could open up a whole realm of possibilities. Um, Brandon Ingram's blood clot really complicated his trade value. Mm-hmm. And I hate to talk about trade value when referring to a life-threatening situation. Um, and I really want to emphasize that I really feel for him. I had a blood clot at one time in my life. Uh, the treatment for it sucks. The uh, medication they give you makes you feel like crap and you have to stay on it for months. Um, he is now, fair or not, a damaged asset. And I know the reports that came out there that said that it was structural and everything's going to be A-OK. I'm just going to tell you that, you know, not every team is going to believe that. And fair or not, Brandon Ingram's trade value has diminished and it makes it very complicated to sign him to a contract extension uh, this year Hmm. because you just, you're you're just, you're going to, you're going to be worried about it coming back. 
and you know you can't get insurance on it now and it's just it was a really i mean i'm really glad they caught it and he's okay and he's going to be fine and he can continue his career and there are a lot of instances of players who've had a single blood clot and have gone on to replay and been fine and i really hope that's the case but when it comes to this particular summer i think his trade value i don't think i know in talking to other teams his trade value has taken a big hit and so the Lakers already were a little short in, uh, you know, with their trades. And I think that what they have to offer actually declined when that happened. And I, I'm sorry to, to put it that way. I, I just I just think that's the way that it is. And it's it's a delicate subject and you want to be respectful, but that's just the way that it is. And, and what you hope is, is that he comes back, is 100% and has an awesome season next year, doesn't have any issues, puts it all the rest and um, can get another can get a contract whether it's with the Lakers or another team and is taken care of. That's what you hope. And I think a year from now, if he has that type of season, I think the scenario changes. But right now, you know, and, and, and the and the crazy thing is is that he had been playing so well, you might have been able to argue that his trade value was higher than it has ever been. And now I think it's probably lower than it's ever been um and i and i and i and i I know i'm repeating myself but just to emphasize the point this is just more for me talking to people in the league it's not my Mm -hmm. personal opinion so you you think the pelicans that that's off the table if anthony davis ends up with the lakers it'll be in the summer of 2020 if he's a free agent and chooses to come here well i think one of the most important things really for the whole anthony davis market is does kyrie irving stay in boston if Kyrie Irving leaves Boston, I think it's really hard for the Celtics to make an all-in trade for Anthony Davis. And I, I don't think Anthony Davis is going to commit um, to a team that he's traded for. Not only that, let's just say that Anthony Davis got traded to the Lakers. Let's say that they found a deal. Let's say they won the lottery and they finished second in the lottery and they were able to, to package that pick around the number two pick and uh, they were able to do that. Um, he would not be able to extend with the Lakers right away. You have to wait six months after a trade. So even if he came in riding down, you know, a Figueroa on a chariot <laughs> with his hair with his hair painted purple and gold, he'd still have to wait six months to extend. And that six months, you'd be you'd still be worried. So I don't think there's any scenario that exists where a team is going to trade for him and feel 100% convinced that it's going to be A-OK and he's going to be with you. And because of that, I just don't know if Boston is going to put that package forth that that is going to satisfy um, the Celtics. And not only that, this draft, while there's a lot of excitement at the top, there's a lot of meh in the middle. Now, I've been around long enough to be able to tell you that I hear stuff about the draft every year that proves to be dead wrong. It's amazing to me. I'm not a draft guy at all. Um, there's so much time, money, and energy uh, spent on getting the draft right, and it's still such a crapshoot. So <laughs> time will only tell on it. But I don't think a couple of mid-round picks, Marcus Smart and Jalen Brown, that may not get it done. And the thing that I'll tell you, I don't know who's going to be the GM. I, I think there's a good chance Danny Ferry will be the GM. I covered him for five years in Cleveland. Danny Ferry is a very, very patient man, uh, patient to a fault. 
Um, he had a couple of players who had very long contract holdouts because he refused to budge off his position that went way into the season when he was the GM of the Cavs. It wouldn't stun me if he doesn't get something he does, he, he likes in the summer. He'll just wait. He'll just wait into the, into next season. Hmm. I'm sure that's not what they prefer to do, but if he's the GM, there's a, there's some ifs in there. Um, but I, but, um, but if the Celtics can't execute the trade, if they don't offer the home run package, which I think most people would agree includes the draft picks and Jason Tatum, I think you'd have to include Marcus Smart just to make the, the, the dollars work. And then it brings everybody else back into the game. And um, that's, that's when things get interesting. I just don't know if the Lakers – I just don't know if the Lakers, without getting one of those top two picks, I don't know if the Lakers can make a – an offer that's really any that's that's that much better than the offer that they made that the Pelicans rejected back in February. Uh, that's yeah, that's going to be I think the 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 number one kind of thing people are going to be looking out for uh, in the summertime. You're going to have the rumors going back and forth. It's going to be crazy in between the uh, in, in between the end of the finals and 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 uh, July one and just trying to figure out what's going on. Uh, Brian, I'll get you out of here on this one. Luke Walton, you think is 100 percent done next season? No way he returns as Lakers coach. Uh, I would not say that. Um, I would say it's, it would surprise me if he was back, but I would not say that. Um, the thing about it is, is, as far as I know, a couple of people who are candidates for the job who I've talked to haven't been contacted by the Lakers yet. And maybe that's them just completely respecting the process. Um, I also don't think Luke knows. Um, so um, I wouldn't say it's impossible. I would say highly unlikely that he's back. And by the way, he may not have handled this thing very well. When it turned upside down, he might have lost a little bit of control um, because he's not a disciplinarian type guy. I don't blame Luke for, for the lion's share of what happened this year. I think he can coach again and, I'll, and be very successful. I, I think so too. And I, I think that's where a lot of people were, were misplaced their their anger towards him yeah he could have made some different uh, calls in terms of the minutes and the rotations and I definitely think offensively it would have helped to have a few more sets ran and, and and running some plays that you had in your back pocket that that you were gonna get a good shot from I think a lack of a of a post score killed him a guy like a Julius Randle would have been pretty damn good next to LeBron sitting at the four spot who can you know kind of stretch the floor a bit but also can get you some hard hoops so I, I think he was he was dealt a, a pretty bad hand to start with kind of coming in with how this roster was constructed and getting a bunch of these guys on one-year deals who haven't been exactly uh, uh, the most uh, you know the greatest teammates and, and and the smartest guys on the court except for maybe Rondo uh, you had guys like Beasley and McGee and, and Lance Stevenson who carry around a reputation for being a bit of disruptors as, as well uh, I don't think you could have bought in Phil Jackson and I don't think it would have made much of a difference to the win-loss record uh, even with all the injuries with this team just think if just think of one decision that they made just think if they had kept Brooke Lopez mm -hmm. um, I mean it doesn't mean LeBron doesn't hurt his groin but they keep Brooke Lopez it changes the way they defend with the big man spot and it spreads the floor a lot more LeBron has a weapon to to, to dish the ball to I mean you look at what Lopez done this year in Milwaukee just that one decision and um you know, the crazy thing about it is is that they realized at mid-year, like, um, boy, it would be great if we had a stretch big man. 
And, <laughs> and they got uh, Mike Muscala and I they mean, gave up Zubat for yeah, it. That's I, how they decided I mean, to I mean, do it. <laughs> I mean, and that's the thing. Like, they, there are teams that discover things midway through the year that are unforeseeable. Um, and it's part of the learning process. But this one was just so foreseeable. Not only that, I mean, according to what Blake has – I mean, not Blake, but uh, Brooke has said – I think he told Zach Lowe this. Um, he wanted to stay, mm-hmm. you know. So that just that one. I mean, I, I honestly think that this this is not as big of a mess this season as everyone says. I'm going to say that again. The, the Anthony Davis stuff made it really bad, but the Anthony Davis stuff is not the reason that Lakers are not in the playoffs. It certainly soured everyone's mood and it kind of ruined that week. They their experiment failed and they got hurt. That's really that's it. It's so 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 now you got to dig yourself out of that. The digging yourself out is hard because um, you've you know you've you've done, done some damage and and you've got to turn over half your team and you no matter who they bring I don't care if they bring in in their prime Tim Duncan in their prime Shaquille O'Neal whatever whoever you want to bring next year there's going to be and and with the coaching change probably there's going to be you know, adjustment time, digging out of the hole that they made is not going to be easy, but I really do think it was not as complicated as it may look. Yeah. And, and we've, we've, you know, dissected it and thought about every little detail. I, I think you're, you hit the nail on the head. You know, this was, it was a, a mixture of things, but ultimately they, they put together something that ultimately failed and now they got, they have to rectify it this off season. Brian, uh, always great talking to you, man. Your insights are amazing. You're, you're one of the best in the business. Thanks again for coming on the pod, man. I appreciate it. Have a good summer. All right, you too. That's ESPN NBA reporter and senior writer Brian Windhorse. Uh, don't forget as well, pre-order your copy of his new book, LeBron Inc., The Making of a Billion Dollar Athlete. You can find it on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, uh, Target, just to name a few. And check us out online as well, silverscreenroll.com. And definitely subscribe to our podcast. We're on iTunes, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, you name it, we are there. That does it for this week's episode. I'll talk to you all next time.